Welcome to the Nutrition Insight Project. I'm Hannah Saffold, your podcast host. I'm a dietitian, educator, creator, and mom. Here I'll be sharing with you my journey working on creating change in the nutrition world. We'll talk about all things nutrition and we'll go on some tangents too. I'm going to let my curiosity take the lead and I'm so excited you're here. Let's jump right in. Hello friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have a very special episode today. I'll be sharing a conversation I had with my husband, Jesse, who is also a therapist. So we'll talk about the overlap between the work that I do with people around their nutrition and the work that he does as a psychotherapist. There's a lot of overlap. We'll talk about self-acceptance as an important and foundational part of the change process. And we'll talk about the work that we do. At the end, I'll give you a brief work-life update. So if you, re- if you enjoy that part, stick around till the end. With no further ado, here is my conversation with Jesse Saffold. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Hello. <laughs> It's funny to be sitting here with you since we talk to each other a lot every day, but here we are behind the microphones. Yep. Yep. So today on the podcast, I have my my love, my husband, my partner, Jesse, who I've mentioned here and there throughout the podcast, but if you could just do a little ditty, do a little intro for the audience um, to... Yeah, share who you are, aside from my my loving partner. (laughs) Sure. My name's Jesse. I'm uh, currently a therapist, and I mainly work with adults uh, at this point. So I've done pediatric therapy before, and um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I spent many years doing uh, working in residential treatment with teenagers, And then I also worked in foster care for a number of years. Uh, But right now it's mainly adults and I don't really have a specialty, uh, but I would say, you know, most people come in with some version of anxiety and depression. And then there are some other issues that people show up with, but usually it's somewhere on that scale of anxiety and depression that we're working through and just wanting to make behavioral changes. make their lives a little bit better, a little more manageable, and something I really enjoy doing. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of people, when they meet me and I tell them what I do in terms of, I'm a dietitian and I mostly work with um, eating disorders, disordered eating, and then I say, yeah, and my husband is a therapist. There's There's always this like, oh my gosh, like that's a really great pairing it's kind of an interesting pairing because I think over the years the work that we do has become more similar it's kind of converged where now we're both seeing clients individually and and counseling individually so there are a lot of similarities and overlap between what we're both doing with clients in terms of working on uh, self-awareness and self-acceptance and the process of change um, and for me, it's it's very 
exciting and feels really aligned to be in this career path, to be working on this for the rest of my life, potentially, because it's something that you, we, we both value this process personally mm-hmm. in terms of development and just this life journey that we're on, deepening it, getting to know ourselves better. And so to be able to have that integrated with the work that we're doing with other people, I find that so rewarding. Yeah. 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 When it comes to the overlap, I mean, I would say most people that come in have some um, issues with their body and food and movement. Um, So food and exercise and it kind of, it just, it's a thing, you know? So it's a part of the anxiety and depression. And so, yeah, I think that our two career paths definitely merge quite a bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think we've been able to kind of come together on our understanding of, of just different frameworks, different approaches, um, but some commonalities around people meeting their body and meeting themselves with this gentle curiosity and self-compassion and then trying to work with what they can to, to get to a better spot for them. Yeah. Whether that's, like you said, someone with anxiety and depression who's struggling with disconnection from their body in that way, mm-hmm. or whether it's someone with that I work with who has anorexia, who's disconnected and restricting, and they're kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are some commonalities, I think. Mm-hmm. And do you think as a society, we are just, we're, we are more disconnected from our bodies and from our animal nature? And that's like, part of why we're seeing so many clients struggling with this? I mean, I guess that's like a loaded question. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely. Uh, I feel like I was listening to something recently and they were talking about how just living in our modern Western culture, like if you don't really ask many questions or um, make a conscious effort to live differently like living in our modern western culture you're sick you're gonna Mm. be sick you're not gonna eat well you're not gonna move much you're gonna be disconnected from community you're not gonna sleep well so all the tenets and foundations of mental health are not being met and so we have to actively work to be healthy where this is probably like one of the first times ever where that's been the case. Like most of the time, all that stuff was built into the culture to just be healthier and kind of manage our foundational needs. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when you say healthy, I know you mean healthy on the broadest sense. You don't just, you know, physically and mentally healthy, right? Yeah. Emotionally, spiritually as, healthy. As opposed to what? Uh, there's just like more, a more narrow definition of health or, you know, of like just physical health, like oversimplified. Yeah. I mean, I know. Yeah. Healthy is a loaded word in, in my realm. Yeah. Like, I know it's not so much in your world, like in, in, cause people can look and be doing what, what mainstream society might think of as healthy. But if you take it to the extreme, like with anything at the extreme, it becomes not healthy. So I don't know. We yeah. didn't need to caveat that. I'm I mean, it, it's fine. It, <laughs> it's, it's a word. I, I, I mean, I, 
I, healthy just to me implies that you generally wake up feeling pretty good about yourself, like your body, your life, everything. Holistically, you feel pretty good. Um, and usually I'd, I'll do a number scale with people, like on a scale of one to 10. And so if anything above maybe a seven, um, is healthy, like I'm feeling good or I'm feeling great or I'm feeling excellent, you know, it's like, if you're in that range, you're feeling pretty healthy. If you're below that, like meh or horrible <laughs> or in crisis or, you know, then you're not feeling very healthy. Oh, or pain. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the Webster's Dictionary says of health, but um, I'm I, it's a word that I like, health, healthy. Yeah. Like, do you feel healthy? Yeah. I think you know, like usual, you're pretty good at keeping me in check with like my eating, like everything, not everything. A lot of things I look at through that eating disorder, eating disorder recovery lens. And so because of the, you know, the way eating disorders can grab that word healthy and like run with it, I have a slightly different, you know, it's not as pure. It's not as like awesome as a word for me. Yeah. Yeah. Language is hard. I mean, it, it, it's like we all mean different things when we use certain words. And so clarification is good. But usually I don't think too much about the words that I'm saying. I mean, they might be offensive or they might, you know, hit the wrong way. But it's like it's kind of on the other other person to bring it up and say, hey, listen, that didn't sound right or feel right. And it's like if I start self-censoring too much, mm -hmm. then I can't be myself yeah. and I can't kind of transmit what I want to transmit. So generally, I'm just going to kind of say what whatever comes to mind. That's what I I really appreciate about you is you do say what comes to mind. <laughs> and I'm trying to self-censor less because I see that where where that goes in terms of it just stifles connection i think when when you are trying to tiptoe around words or make sure you're addressing everyone make making sure you're trying to address everyone because you would never be able to it it does kind of water down what you're trying to talk about so right i'm working on it yeah yeah and the self-censoring leads into the self-acceptance which is kind of one of the things that I think you wanted to talk about or that you were yes. talking about prior. Yes, absolutely. Because if we have a solid sense of, of who we are and we're not allowing external forces to rock us off of that, like get us out of that self-acceptance piece, we don't have to self-censor if we have that strong sense of who we are. I think what's, what's challenging for a lot of clients and has been challenging for me is is this idea that we can that that we can accept ourselves and that we, that is a really important part of the change process because I think a lot of people feel like if I accept myself then that means I'm not working towards changing or like that they're worried that they're just going to sink into that acceptance and not change right or shift yeah. And then, then the reframe that I always have for people is, has it worked for you not accepting yourself? Like, have you made the changes that you want to in your life through non-acceptance or through judgment or shaming yourself into change? And 
generally what people will say is um, it's been temporary or not at all. So they're willing to try something different, which is counter to our culture, which tries to make us all feel horrible. And like we constantly need to be doing something different or better. Um, and the reality is that change really happens through self-acceptance and through being kind to ourselves um, and cultivating kindness within ourselves wherever we're at. And the more that we're able to do that, the more able we are to to really create the best versions of ourselves um, and, and to start making those changes. The self-acceptance is kind of a version of uh, parenting ourselves with unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it in a parenting model, it's like, how are you trying to parent your kid to create or to um, allow for them to develop in the best way possible? And it's mm -hmm. through an unconditional love and care for them. Mm -hmm. The flaws, the amazing parts of them, like all aspects of them, it's like when you cultivate that compassion for them, they're really allowed to grow. And I think we're trying to do that with ourselves. We want to like mm -hmm. allow for all aspects of ourselves to emerge. And from that place is when we really start to grow. Yeah. Cause a lot of us didn't have that as kids or, yeah. or, or maybe we, we did, but we didn't perceive it. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, no, no parent is perfect. <laughs> right. And so, um, they all were doing the best they could, uh, and sometimes our parents actually kind of bowed out at 18 and then we had to start parenting ourselves, you know, um, and we weren't very good parents to ourselves, you know, in our 20s because we didn't know what we were doing. So it's just a process of learning how to learning how to accept all aspects of ourselves in order to grow from that place. Um, and yeah. I think that that's when real transformation starts to happen. There's so many parallels too with the work that I do with my clients around self-acceptance, um, around their food and their body. And if we can be that kind parent that can keep some structure in our lives, it can be uh, really healing. Yeah. And go through that process with yourself. And so do you find that with your clients that sometimes <laughs> that's like what you're working on for a long period of time? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think what, what happens is going, again, going back to the parenting model that, um, self-acceptance and permissiveness, they get kind of like combined where it's like, oh, if I accept myself just as I am, I'm going to eat however I want and I'm going to laze around and be on my phone all day and, you know, and I'm not going to take very good care of myself. And, um, I don't think that that is self-acceptance because usually if you're, um, doing those things, you're not really in a state of acceptance. You're kind of like at the mercy of your addictions. Um, and so I think self-acceptance is really just keying in to what our body and minds are telling us. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think that that's where people get stuck a little bit is this idea of like, oh, well, if I just go to self-acceptance, it's like I've kind of given up on some level and I'm not striving and it's like, no, that's not really it at all. Mm -hmm. Cause it's not, it's not taking deep care of yourself or being re actually kind to yourself to allow yourself to, to fall into those 
harmful habits or patterns that you have. Right. You know, you if like going back to the reparenting, it's like you wouldn't allow your child to just do whatever all day. No. Without, right. It's like, okay, no, this is the, this is what we do. We get up, we brush our teeth, we get ready for the day. Yeah. But a lot of people really struggle with self-acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be a very long process to help support people getting to that place. Um, and I mean, I know for myself, it's been a very long process. It's ongoing. It, <laughs> it constantly changes and, and the internal dialogue that will come up in my mind often uh, around all the things that I'm doing wrong or, you know, all the areas in which I don't measure up. I mean, it's like, I think it kind of plagues everybody. It's, it's a very, very difficult thing to work with. And it's not, it's not like you can just work on it. It's done. No. It's, it's like, a, it, like you said, it's a constant process that evolves over time. Right. Right. It's like, oh, there, there's that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it does get better gradually, you know, over time. I think it's it, the intensity lessens, the frequency lessens, like those critical thoughts. Yeah, I think it gets better over time. I think that it's really important to have practices that you're working on that kind of clue you in to the self-acceptance. I think, like, you can lose touch with it if you're not doing either kind of mental reframing or journaling or therapy or various things that kind of can just give you more insight into what's happening in your mind. Uh, if you get into busy mode and are just kind of like going, going, going without thinking too much about how your mind is working, um, your mind, I think, will get trapped right back into the, all the stories of negative self-talk and self-criticism and I'm not measuring up and all these things because this is again what our culture does it wants us to feel bad you know I think that so many messages out there like want us to feel less than want us to feel bad not okay like we have to be something different than who we are yeah and, and a lot of times as like the the therapist I find that we can be that that voice that helps a person reframe those critical thoughts and and help help verbalize like okay well what would be a less critical thought help right. do the reframing with right. them in the session yeah role model it have them practice it yeah point it out when that critic comes out mm -hmm. point it like oh there's there's that black and white thinking again mm -hmm. or there's that story that you're telling yourself let's zoom out mm -hmm. and i've had clients tell me that when in between sessions, sometimes they would hear my voice, yeah. kind of helping gently remind them of like these, these things. And then the hope is eventually that they are able to do that yeah. on their own. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. I mean, I think that that's a really important part of the process. I also think, I think a lot about um, this idea of unconditional positive regard and cultivating that for everybody that we work with, all of our clients, like, so seeing them in the most positive light possible and with a lot of hope and we can convey that to them and i think when we do that when they're really seen like that that can be a very transformative process when you because they are having a hard time accepting themselves just as they are but like if they can see somebody else doing it it it's kind of illuminating they're like holy crap i am fine just how i am so powerful. 
And I've had, I mean, I know you have too. We've had, when you have your own moments where someone really sees you and not just like on the surface, but really is able to speak to your spirit and, and have, when you have that connection with another person, it is so powerful. Right. And it's a gift to be able to do this as our jobs. Yeah. And at the same time, we're trying not to get too attached, right, to, like, the outcome. Yeah. Because we, we can't get there with every client. No. And it, it's, it can be challenging to not, because we want everyone to get better, and we want to support people, but at the same time, it really is their process. Right. And we have to be patient with that. Yeah. And trust that they will find the way. Yeah, and I think the way that I help myself not get too hung up on the outcome is this idea that, like, if I can convey unconditional positive regard mm -hmm. and if I can convey, like, uh, acceptance of the client just where they are at, it's like no matter what happens in the future, like if they drop off or stop going to counseling or cycle back, it's like at least they know that somebody out there did see them mm -hmm. in you know, like could hold all aspects of them, you know, because a lot of times their parents were never able to do that. Their partners were never able to do that. Their friends were never able to do that. So it's like, at least if we just create a moment where they were totally seen and totally held and totally accepted, it's like that, that can be really powerful just in and of itself, no matter what happens, you know, throughout the counseling process. Mm-hmm. I think what's challenging for me sometimes is that writing reflex, like wanting to fix things. And sometimes for me, that can get in the way of the purity of the session or yeah. like being able to hold that space on that deeper level. Yeah. Especially as dietitians, we are, we're taught so much in terms of like the facts and the action part of the process and then also just me as a person it's like i want them to that's where my ego gets involved like right. i want them to see the value in our session right and so but it's kind of a paradox because the more i try to fix things or the le the worse the session goes yeah and it can be challenging yeah to, well to and, and that and the more that you try and effort to change, the less you are in a state of acceptance. Because, there you go. There <laughs> because you go. the acceptance <laughs> is accepting whatever happens in the session. You know, it's being completely present and like things can completely go off the rails and go in a way in which you didn't necessarily want them to go or clients can cancel or move on and like anything can happen, but to be in acceptance is to allow for all those things to happen. Yeah. It's almost like if you get pulled into that same way of thinking of like, yeah, like judge, not judging, but like being like, this is the problem. This yeah. is how we fix it. It's like, you're, you're doing the same thing that yeah. they yeah. do and that we're trying to get them unstuck from. Right. Or this is, I should have done this or, you know, like after a Why session, if you're just like, yeah. like running all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas through your mind, well then, yeah, you're not in a state of acceptance and, and it's not helpful. You know, it's like when you kind of do that, all that happens is the next session, you show up less present. Mm. So, um, it's like, how do you show up each 
session as present as possible without all that stuff running through your head and just being with the client in the space, um, trying to create a moment of connection. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of confidence not to go into a session, you know, thinking like, okay, I want to touch on this. I want to touch. I know, especially when I was a, um, early clinician, I would prepare my sessions and mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know what, you want to have an, a sense of the history in your mind. Yeah. You, you can't just go in completely blind, but try not to go in with an agenda of like points you want to cover because yeah, that, that disconnects you yeah. from the client that comes in because yeah. you, you actually want to meet them Wherever where they're at, at coming in yeah. the door. And that if you have like a bullet pointed list of like what you want to cover, that's immediately disconnection point right absolutely yeah the juice of the connection in the session is wherever the client's at like just kind of like peeling away the layers of that rather than coming in with your own agenda and all the things you want to teach them <laughs> and all the frameworks and this and that it's like that's when you start to lose them is when you come in with those ideas rather than like, let's just like, what's really up for you? Like, where are, where are you really getting stuck or where are you really um, doing well? Or, you know, like whatever is, you got to find where their energy is. Um, and that's where the connection happens. And then you're really seeing them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then the next time they come in, they're not thinking, oh, I didn't do, right. like, oh, Jesse told me to right. journal and I didn't do it. Right. And then there's there's this, like, kind of... Non-acceptance. <laughs> yeah, well, judgment. And, judgment. And, they, and they come into the session feeling bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. I would say for people who are out there, one of the people that we've learned a lot from is a woman named Tara Brock, whose book is Radical Acceptance. She also has a podcast. So if this is something that you're interested in learning more about, I would say she's a good place to start. Definitely. Is there anyone else you would want to add if people are wanting to work on this? I mean, there's a whole... <laughs> therapy model, um, ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. So you can look into, uh, people who are writing books around that, but it, I mean, it's, it's out there. Yeah. It's also kind of a, a, um, more of a Buddhist kind of tenant too. It's like, it's a, it's a thread that's runs through that too. Meditation, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. whole, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but, uh, like we said, I mean, I think it's super important to getting better, feeling more healthy, to uh, facilitating change is getting to a place of really accepting everything that's coming at you, like whatever your internal processes are. Um, I, I find a lot of freedom in accepting our flaws, almost like meditating on that. <laughs> you know, it's like we we have such an aversion to the things that we don't do right 
and uh, and we don't want people to see them and it's like no embrace those things because in the embrace of those things is is real freedom it's like oh my gosh if i can mm -hmm. not just embrace the positive qualities um the things i'm good at but also embrace like yo i suck at singing or dancing or like there's certain things that i'm just not good at and whatever you know whatever it is i mean there's a million things but um but yeah, just to embrace all aspects of ourselves, like that is a very freeing notion. And then it's like, when you move out in the world, you're just not really affected by things as much. Yeah, yeah you're more durable. Absolutely. Yeah, you won't get rocked when these things are happening outside of you. No. I mean, maybe you will a little bit, but if you have that acceptance piece... Yeah, it's like the way that I talk to clients is like, that's your anchor, or those are your roots, um, you know, and so it's like, if it's a tree, you're swaying in the wind, but you kind of always come back to center. Um, and so it's like, as, as much as you can build those roots, it's like, whatever happens in your life, you can always kind of come back to who you are. It's, it's a process that I'm, I still working on. Because even, even if you feel like you've done a lot of work around it, things are going to happen in life that knock you down again. Yeah. You know, but if you can come at it with that, you have to be able to pause, come at it with self-compassion and find your feet again. Right. Right. And, and again, going back to the way that we do that are these um, self-awareness uh skills and practices so it's like if it's meditation or mindfulness or therapy or journaling or like that you constantly need to be working on bringing awareness to certain aspects of yourself and when you stop doing that and you think you've got it all together a lot of people do it in recovery meetings as well it's like the minute that you think you've got this is when you don't have this anymore and so it yeah. is, it's a lifelong process. It's like, if you get too cocky about it, you're like, I got this thing. I it's accept like, all aspects of myself. And then it's like, boom, something will hit you that you never dealt with before. I've had that experience re like fairly recently where, where that, that happened to me. And I liked, I would like to think that I handled it better now than I would have when I was younger. What do you think? I mean, you were saying too that the culture like pulls us out of it and makes it exceedingly hard to have that grounded connection with ourselves. Yeah. And we tell ourselves stories about why we can't do it, right? Like people have a lot of barriers, resistance to doing those things, whether that's like you mentioned, these tools like meditation, journaling, mm -hmm. mindful walks, even mm -hmm. looking, getting outside at all. <laughs> like there's people have a lot of barriers to that. Like how do you help people unpack and work through those? Um, the barriers to doing the practices or the barriers just to accepting themselves? <laughs> Either one. Yeah. Well, because do you think the self-accept is the barriers are there because the self-acceptance isn't there? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're combined. I think the, th the things that get us into a state of self-acceptance are the things that bring awareness to what's happening with us. And so we, it's like when we talk about the model, the awareness, acceptance, alignment, it's like you can get into awareness 
and you need to know what's happening in order to begin to accept it. So whatever's happening within yourself or the qualities of yourself that you're, you have aversion to. Um, so it's like you constantly need to, to be in awareness. And the way to be in awareness is to, again, to self-reflect, to journal, to take those mindful walks, to talk with a friend who can mirror back things to you, to talk to your therapist. And so, um, I just think that you always need to be doing those things because otherwise you're going to have blind spots. You're going to miss things. And when you miss those things, you can't bring acceptance to those things. So there might be these little parts of yourself that are nagging at you. You don't know that they're nagging at you or why or what's happening. And until you like illuminate them and bring light to them, then you're just, you're, you stay stuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that willingness to look at the shadow side and bring it into the light. Yeah. And, and, in, and a, in a way that's not right. guilt, shame driven. And when you say that, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to do that. It, it's true. It's like a lot of people don't want to sit and meditate for 10 minutes or sit and reflect in their journal or like these are uncomfortable things um, that we'd much rather do almost anything else. But <laughs> but the reality is when we're talking about health, it's kind of like exercise. It's kind of like healthy eating. It's like these are things that don't necessarily like they don't come easy in the beginning, like they're difficult things, but it's like they need to happen in order for us to feel better. Yeah. And people are coming to us at a point where they want to feel better. Right. So we're working with them on like, yeah, are you willing to go there? Are you willing <laughs> to do the things? And I, I told you this recently, but I, I have clients that will come in and I'll say, listen, I'm going to tell you the secret to feeling better. Um, and you, you won't even need me, you know, you can stop <laughs> going to therapy right now. And it's this 20, 10, five model. It's like do 20 minutes of exercise, 10 minutes of meditation and five minutes of journaling or gratitude journaling each day. And I guarantee you're going to feel better. Um, you're not going to do it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I guarantee you're going to feel better. You know, it's like do that each day, 35 minutes. What, you know, like it, it's, uh, the, amount of time as a show or scrolling on the internet or whatever. And so, so it's like the things are there. People are aware of them. They're in the culture. Doing the things is very difficult. Um, simple, not easy. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to use that, that sometimes with clients that come in for nutrition, <clears throat> I'll, I'll want them to do a food journal, you know, not, not necessarily track calories and all that stuff, but I'll, I'll want them to do that self-reflection, you know, and it's on their phone. You know, it's an app on their phone. It would take two minutes around meal times and snack times, but like a lot of people are resistant to doing it, you know, uh, but the work goes faster when you are willing to do those, those things in between the session to connect to the work. Right. And, and really it's, it's, it's a, it's a foundational part of the work. It's like, we can't, 
we can't, we're not solving the problems in the hour long session no. that we have. It's no. like, take this out into the world and work on, work on applying it. And it t- that takes that right. energy and motivation yeah. to yeah. work on it. It's like, it's like people will talk about meditation and it's like, what are you doing off the cushion? It's like great that you're meditating 20 minutes a day or whatever, but like you've got the rest of your day. If you're just, if you go right back into busy mode and not bringing awareness to your thoughts and all, you know, Mm -hmm. then the meditation session wasn't really, there was not much to it. And it's the same with therapy or um, when people come to consult with you or um, journaling or, you know, any of that type of thing. It's like if, if it just remains in that process and you don't bring it out into your everyday life, then it's not really working. No, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. No, no. And everyone, it, time, everyone's time scale is different with that sure. in terms of like when they're able. And, and like you said, sometimes they'll cycle through where, We'll see them for a few sessions, plant, maybe plant some seeds, hopefully have that connection where they feel seen and validated and then they drop off and then sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't. Um, and we have to help. We have to just ride that wave. Absolutely. It's a, it's a dance of being invested and in the clients and also in some ways being non-attached to their process. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the behavior change stuff? Or do you think we kind of covered that? 20, what did you say? 2010-5? Yeah, 2010-5. I think that that's like the minimum effective dose based on research or, you know, the most effective minimum dose based on research. Um, if you're able to do those every day. So 2010-5. If you're feeling stuck, 20, 20 minutes of movement, 10 minutes of meditation or mindfulness practice and five minutes of journaling. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, it does sound manageable. You, like you said, it's like you can, that 35 minutes can be absorbed by the internet so fast. Sure. So fast. So yeah, I, I like that. Um, how this feel for you? Fine. Good. Was it Good. fun? Yeah. Okay. Um, cause I've been talking about bringing you on to talk about, this stuff mm-hmm. and I'm really glad that we finally were able to sit down and do it all right <laughs> all right um, that's it okay. well, thanks thank you for sitting down with me this morning mm-hmm. you're welcome I hope you enjoyed that episode It was really nice to sit down and have a conversation with someone in the same room and record the episode. So I may try to figure out ways to invite more in-person guests onto the podcast because there's something about sitting next to someone and the natural flow of conversation that I think feels easier than when I've been recording my guests through Zoom, which also works, but it's, as you all know, it's a little clunkier than if you're sitting in the same room with someone. So I hope you found value to that conversation that we had and hopefully you found something that you can take with you and perhaps apply to your own life and your situation. In terms of me, I would say this has been a period of change for me. I started a part-time job here in person at the local 
Eating Disorder Treatment Center, and I literally just started this week, and I'm really excited about building connection and community with the other clinicians, but also with more uh, in-person clients because I'm really enjoying, enjoying that work. I also want to share a story about the process of becoming credentialed with insurance companies, which I know that just sounds really dull, but it has been something that I've been working on for the last six months is is having to apply and become credentialed and have contracts with the different insurance companies so that I can accept them and bill them in my private practice. And one of the insurance companies, I believe I've probably shared on here before, had said no, that they have enough dietitians. And I ended up writing an appeal letter, and they uh, they liked my appeal letter, I suppose, and they were doing the office site visit. And I have my office set up as it's a home office. It's the office I'm in now where I record the podcasts, and I do a lot of my Instagram videos and posts with, with the same background. So they came, and it, you know, it it is not... ADA compliant, not yet at least. And initially, I did not think I was going to be able to uh, become credentialed with them. And I didn't think I was going to be able to get my space to become compliant with what they needed. And after talking to the site visitor, they uh, they went to their department manager and spoke with the committee, and they are willing to work with me on ways to make my space um, ADA compliant so that I can get a contract. And it was very exciting to feel like uh, I, I, like something's going right and things are falling into place and that my hard work paid off in the end. So that hasn't obviously fully happened yet because I still have some work to do on getting the space ready uh, and it feels really nice to be having some doors open that especially this one that I thought was previously closed. With the Nutrition Insight Project I have my next speaking engagement scheduled for next week where I will be speaking to a group of nutrition students about the importance of working on our own relationship with food and body as we are entering into the field of nutrition. So that is next week. So things are falling into place for me. I'm enjoying this feeling like I'm hitting my stride. I'm having a lot of meaningful connections with clients in my private practice and through the Nutrition Insight Project. I'm enjoying the spring and the warmer weather. We had Mother's Day, which was a good a good day for me very restful felt rejuvenated and connected to my family and my community because i've also made a few mom friends here that mean a lot to me and that we support each other so it feels good things are feeling pretty good and not to say that I don't have days or moments where I'm struggling because we all do. And I want to share my struggles, but I also want to share some of my wins. I'm working on sharing different parts of myself with you all and being comfortable being my authentic self as I move through this messy life. So if no one tells you today, you are loved. I see you. I'm so appreciative that you are willing to spend this time with me. You're doing great. You're doing enough. Reach out for connection, whether that's to me or people in your life. Tomorrow's not a guarantee. So sending you love. Be well, my friends. Bye.
Thank you for tuning in to the Nutrition Insight Project podcast. Please rate and review if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have nutrition friends or dietitian friends or anyone who you might think would like the podcast, please share. Word of mouth is the best way to get the podcast out into the world. If this is something that speaks to you and you want more information about any of my offerings, please reach out at nutritioninsightproject at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like me to cover or guests that you'd like me to have on, or if you would like to be a guest, also please reach out. You can find me on the social media places at Nutrition Insight Project or Hannah Saffold. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day and that you have found value in today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.